0: Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zelitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. Hi, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. And we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And we want to let you know that due to the coronavirus, we're all sheltering in place today in our homes. So please bear with us if you hear domestic sounds, such as clocks chiming, and dogs barking, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with our guest.
1: We're excited to bring you Dinah Lynn, age 78, previously an international business executive and senior official in Washington from 1989 to 1992. Now a dynamic speaker and Amazon best-selling author of Daring to Dream Once Again, Dina believes it's never too late and has lived this message many times over during her life. Originally from Beijing, China, Dinah and her family escaped on the last boat out of Shanghai in 1949. Growing up in Ohio, they were the only Asian family. Dinah is full of humor and positive thoughts. She has so much to say that it is worthwhile. Dina, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.
2: Thank you so much, Gail. And it's such a delight to be here with you and Catherine today. I am just delighted that we can have this conversation.
1: And so are we, Dinah. Your entire life has so many facets, it's, it's really hard to know where to start. Would you be willing to give us a brief overview of your childhood and what made you decide to return to China to live in 2010? Well,
2: I certainly can. And, you know, I was thinking for my childhood to 2010, we're talking a span of 60 years. I go, <laughs> oh, can I do that very quickly? I hope so. Um, I'll start in the beginning. And for me, the beginning is in 1949, my mother, my brother, my sister and I escaped on the last boat out of Shanghai just before the city was taken over by the communists. At the time, my dad was already here in the U.S. He was here on a one-year research grant, and he was getting ready to go back to China. And my mother wrote to him and said, no, don't come back. Stay. I'll find a way to get the children and myself out. Mm -hmm. And when I think back on that, I think I have no idea how she thought she could do this. Because everyone, you know, Shanghai was in turmoil, what the whole country was. And everyone was trying to escape. But she had such incredible determination and courage. And so we were able to escape to Hong Kong. And then from there, we joined my dad in Ohio. And, you know, when I think about that, I'm so I'm really grateful that we grew up in this little town and in the Midwest. Because, and I always think of myself as a Midwesterner, although we all left the whole family. You know, my parents moved um, after I graduated from high school and none of us went back but I think back on Ohio with fond memories and I married young and I listened to where you had done the same Gail and had my first son right after um, my junior year in college. So as a young wife and mother, um, we lived in Asia in five different countries and eight, let me see, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: That was, as you can imagine, a very, (laughs) very interesting, very educational experience. It was really great in many ways uh, for me because it gave me the opportunity to really, I would have to say, to become more Asian, (laughs) you know? I had grown up as a child here and I was very, you can, Americanized. And so it was good for me to have that opportunity to really learn more about and to appreciate the Asian culture. And it was a great experience for our children. So from there it was MBA and started my career. And I think I'll stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know you want to know what made me decide to go to Beijing at, uh, in 2000.
1: Well, yes, you, you went back, right? So you lived in those countries and then did you come back to the United States?
2: I certainly did. I came back. I got my MBA at um, Columbia Business School, majored in finance, business economics. My undergraduate at Barnard was in economics. And um, yes, and I kind of like put myself on this climbing the corporate ladder and decided to 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 do that. So I had a career in both um, Fortune 500 and some high tech startups. So that was what I I came back, but I traveled because I was in international business development. So I made for one company, I made trips to Europe, you know, and to different countries in Asia, including China. And um, and so when I left the corporate world, I did a few things just, you know, and I wasn't really, um, I was going to say, I wasn't having fun. I said to myself, I'm not having fun and I'm not making any money. (laughs)
1: You know, when you and I when you and I talked, you said that you started your career at thirty six.
2: Yes. So, what were you doing in between? Uh, in between uh, twenty and thirty six, uh-huh. I was a full time mother, housewife, social uh-huh. hostess. You know, when we lived in Asia, especially in those days, the wives didn't work. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I think it was not looked at well if a wife worked because it was assumed that she would be the social hostess and the you know um that was very important for a man's career and entertained a lot. And so yeah, that's what I did. I was a full time mom and housewife. Well for the first year and a half I was still a student as well.
3: Right.
1: That that was something that you and I shared too that we we both were full time housewives and raised children from, uh, our early years on Very until we got true. into, yeah. Until, until we got into our careers. Very true. So at 30,
2: Very yeah. So at 36, is that when you went back to school? No, at 36, we were living, I was still married and we were living in Hong Kong and I thought, you know, I just have to have to, you know, go out and get a job. I couldn't do that. You know, I was active in charity and, um, fundraising and things like that. And, you know, I played tennis and played bridge and I thought I just, and women's luncheon as I, I just can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> can't do this forever. <laughs> and of course my husband yes. was not at all receptive to the idea of me getting a job, not at all. And I promised <laughs> them, I said, don't worry. We'll still, you know, I'll still be the social hostess. We'll still entertain. Um, and I was able to get my job. My first job was with Chase Manhattan um, in Hong Kong.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Wow. So, it, And then, you know, I was with Chase Manhattan for two and a half years full time. And I got two promotions in that time. So
1: when did you leave corporate America?
2: I left corporate America, actually, the uh, 19, I think, 1996. And then in 1998, I went and spent two months in Beijing, uh, studying Chinese. And back in those days, it was not easy or very difficult to get a visa to go to China. So I joined a group. I founded online a a group where they spot, you know, they put together a group of students that wanted to study Chinese and they arranged the visa and the living accommodations and transportation. So I did that and I tried it out for, I think it was a two-month program and I loved it. And then after that, I kept thinking, oh, I really want to go back again and spend a longer time.
1: And so what did it take for you to be able to do that? <laughs> it took,
2: ah, you know, it took a lot of courage because because I, I had... um. Well, I don't, it's still hard for me to talk about it because I guess I, it's, I had a, I can just say a financial disaster. <laughs> if this, if you remember the tech bubble in the, you know, the year 2000. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so I thought, and I learned about the stock market. I took a number of courses or programs, and I think I learned just enough to be dangerous to myself. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm not working. Let me do something to make some money so I can, you know, go back to China. And that's what I did. I was in the stock market and we all know what happened. Um, And so I lost, I don't know, I think about 80, 90% of my life savings. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. of course, had one of my prices. You know, we (laughs) in life, we have prices. How (laughs) would we grow? If we didn't have crisis, right? How would we have a breakthrough if we didn't have a crisis? So I, yeah, so I was literally just, I was, the feelings of shame and guilt and how could I, because, you know, I thought I was much smarter than that. And it was just something that I had to work through. And um, the left brain was shouting, get a job, get a job, get any job. And then my mm-hmm. right brain and my heart was saying, but I want to go to China. I want to go to China and study Chinese. And that was not an easy, in a way it was not an easy decision. And in a way it was, because in the end I chose to listen to my heart and I went, and I said, I'm going to make it work. Somehow I'll make it work. I'll live on a student budget, which is what I did, and I'll make it work. And When I think back, that was one of the best decisions of my life. It was just an incredible experience.
1: And why did you find it so incredible? What made it so incredible?
2: (laughs) You know, I went thinking I would be there a couple years to study Chinese, and I stayed a decade. (laughs) So I guess you could say I loved it. I loved it. I love the energy of it. Well, first, I love the language, Gail. I mean, that's why I went, was to study Chinese. But, you know, the language, especially for the Chinese language, it's very tied to the culture. It's impossible. I don't know if you've heard this before. Impossible to understand a culture thoroughly if you don't don't understand the language. Because there will be nuances and meaning, you know, depth that you couldn't possibly get if you had to rely on translation. Yes. And this is especially true for the Chinese language. It is so rich. Every word is made up of two characters, and each character has its own meaning. So, for instance, the word crisis is wei ji. Wei comes from the word wei shan, which is danger. Ji comes from... Ji hui, which is opportunity. So crisis is wei ji, danger and
0: opportunity. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do so you think? Yes. Dinah, when you were those 10 years in China, were you by? Were you alone?
2: I was alone, yes. I was there by myself, and I was hoping my, I might meet a nice man, but I, I never did. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, wouldn't that be nice <laughs> if I met somebody? Um, I was, and yet I wasn't because, you know, I had in the early years, I had my other fellow students, you know, there were people there from around the world studying Chinese. And, you know, we were very Mm -hmm. close group and we would get together on weekends. And when I was writing my memoir and I was going back over my journals, I go, those were really, in so many ways, my years in China were some of the best years of my life.
1: Tell us what made you
2: begin to think that you wanted to write a book. You know, Gail, actually, it's like, when did I not think I want to write a book? It was a dream Mm. for years, for decades. I always just had this deep sense that I wanted to write a book. And, um, you know, those years in the corporate world, some of the companies, they would give you psychological testing. And, and I remember they would, you know, ask what, we, what were the top desires you have in your life or whatever. And every time writing a book, be, being an author was always one of them. But you know, I was busy with life, with career. So it, but it never went away. This desire that I had for writing my book, I was just too busy with whatever other things until the day came when I just knew I couldn't put it off anymore.
0: What is the title of your book? It's
2: Daring to Dream Once Again. It's never too late. Well, you know, Gail, I'll tell you the story. After I came back from those years in China where, you know, I, besides studying Chinese in the early years, then, um, I started to be, you know, have, my own i wouldn't call it a business per se but i was doing consulting senior advisor marketing for a number of small companies and i was very active in the american chamber of commerce i i led i led a very full life i you know when i came back I, it just felt like it was time to come back and i had two grandchildren of course at that time um and i didn't have any plans I just came, I just decided it was time to come back and I did, but I hadn't really thought about, well, okay, so what am I going to do with myself? And um, one day I was driving and for no reason, it seemed, I started to cry and then I started to sob and I thought, oh my, what is going on? I thought, gee, am I cracking up? But you know, (laughs) you know, I, deep down, I knew that there was a sadness, a a real sadness because I wanted to write my book and I hadn't even started. I hadn't done anything about it. And, you know, I really, that was the turning point in that I decided if I don't do another thing, if I did nothing else, I had to write my book. That this, the time had finally come for me to write my book. And I still told myself I didn't know what to write about. <laughs> this was this big thing, you know, I don't know what am I going to write about. Uh, but I did at least start to take a few steps, you know, go to, I don't it was sort of a weekend uh, workshop or seminar uh, for would-be authors. So I started to take some action steps. And then when I finally did start to write, I thought I would be writing um, a self-help and use. Examples from my own life. But what came out when I finally started to write just were my own stories. And so mm-hmm. I call this a memoir with a message. And yes that's what came out. Um, and when I was trying to think of a title, I was just free associating. You know, I put blank pieces of paper on the floor and I had color pens and I was just free associating, doing a brainstorming on, you know, different words. And Daring to Dream just came out. And it just, so this Daring to Dream, once again, was really my challenge to myself.
3: hmm
1: And what were some of the, uh, what, what, did, what did the book actually turn out to be? What were some of the messages you had for
2: people? Um, well, maybe I could just give you a brief, just, um, synopsis of the six main chapters in the book, and there were lots of messages. The first one was called "A Mother's Dream," and that was about our escape from China, and mm-hmm. how you know that was my mom's dream was to come to this country, and it, her American dream. She was such a patriot. She loved America. There were times when I thought she mm-hmm. loved America more than China. But it's not a matter of more or less. Um, Now I'm going to do a segue and give you a short story. When I was in Beijing, I was invited to give a talk to a group of students. Well, group, 900, 900 students. (laughs) And um, I had made a presentation called cross-cultural communication, perspectives of a Chinese American. And one of the first questions that popped up came from a student. He said, who you like more which do you like more America or China and I said without any thought I said who do you like more your mom or your dad
3: Mm
2: -hmm. who do you love more your mom or your dad and to me and I went on to explain how you know America is Uncle Sam and China is always referred to by the people who speak in the feminine they always call her motherland Mm -hmm. It's always referred to,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, by all the TV commentators as motherland. And so you don't, you know, you don't love one more or less. You just love them differently. Well, that's interesting. That was my, my segue because my mother loved this country so much. So the second chapter is A Daughter's Dream. And that's about growing up and, you know, being the only Asian and always feeling, feeling so gratified to be both Asian and American, to be Chinese American Mm -hmm. and um, having some dreams as a young girl that I never thought would come true. And then the third chapter was living someone else's dream. Those were the years that I was married. And I didn't dare to dream, actually, those years. You know, I was just this mother, housewife, supporting my husband. And then Mm -hmm. a dream of my own. And those were the years that I was in the corporate world. And I spent quite a bit of time talking about my experiences in the corporate world. And then the last chapter is daring to dream once again. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally. So there are lessons of, what was your question again, Gail? I'm so sorry. How did you <laughs> that?
1: Well, I I was just curious as to some of the messages that came from your book. And I'm wondering now what what does the future hold for you? And you know, you're gonna be eighty in just two short years. What what are you
2: thinking about the future? Well, I Gail, I'm (laughs) I'm not really thinking about turning eighty. I have to tell you, I know it's gonna come and it's gonna happen. But I haven't really given it thought yet. I don't know if I will. Maybe I'll just wait until um when i hear you know when you were introducing me and giving my age or even when i say it myself i can't i was gonna say i go who me i'm 78 <laughs> you know it's just another thing and, we agree on <laughs> yeah it's like who are they talking about <laughs> i don't know exactly. i never think about myself as whatever age i am it's kind of you know i don't know so I haven't really thought about 80. A friend of mine thought I should plan my birthday celebration. <laughs> like, oh, you have to do something really big
0: for your 80th birthday. So, Dinah, if, uh, the number doesn't hold much meaning for you. Do you think about aging, about the aging process for yourself?
2: You know, I have to say, I have a way of not dwelling on things that, in, in, I would say, quote, unquote, negative. Um, because I believe thoughts are, thoughts are energy and it's, you know, I would prefer not to give too much thought or energy to anything that I perceive to be, you know, quote unquote negative. When you say this aging process, I do realize, I mean, I finally came to, you know, uh, peace with the fact that if I feel like taking a little rest in the afternoon, mm-hmm. lying down for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, then for heaven's sake, do it. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I finally right. <laughs> finally yeah. decided I could do it. And I don't have to feel guilty for heaven's sake if I want to lie down and rest. And and I do know that I don't like to be, you know, I mean, yes, I can stay up late for certain occasions, but I don't really like staying up late at night. I like getting to bed early, reading a book and, mm-hmm. and I like sleeping in and not setting my alarm clock. um, so the aging, and I do believe it's important to take care of our bodies. Of course, we're not working out these days. or so are doing what we can working out at home. But uh, years ago, I discovered really I needed to have some kind of a physical exercise uh, besides walking. You know, go to a health mm-hmm. club and work out, keep the body. And years ago, I discovered I needed to eat less. As I got older, I needed to eat less and less. <laughs> you know our bodies just don't burn up as much as it used to so you make these adjustments um Mm -hmm. so that you would feel i mean that one could feel as vibrant as possible as energetic as possible and then be perfectly okay with days when we're not because we're not going to be you know energetic all the time every day oh, I don't know does that yeah. answer your question
0: Kathy? yeah yes and it's very much in keeping with what many of our, uh, of our other guests have also talked about in terms of taking care of our bodies mm. which is a way of taking care of our minds and our right. hearts yeah and, um, do you have another book in you, um, are you writing
2: another book. funny you should ask well I haven't started writing another but it's been said to me a couple of times in the past couple of years by people who are very intuitive. That, yes, I do have another book that wants to come out, uh-huh. <laughs> and um, hopefully I'm not going to resist it as much as I resisted the first one. Um, yeah,
0: don't take 10 years. Don't take 10. No, I don't have another.
2: <laughs> There's where it comes up that you could be construed. I just started to say, I don't have another 10. I should say, yes, of course I have another 10, um, but you're right. Um so possibly I have another book because I feel like I've mm-hmm. learned a lot since my last book came out.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And
2: perhaps, you know, there are lessons there that could be helpful to other people as well.
1: And you love to yeah. speak about it and you should definitely let that book jump right out of you because I
3: know it'll be,
1: <laughs> I know it'll be very worthwhile. Oh, oh, I know this has been really a wonderful time with you. And uh, oh. thank you so much for for sharing your life with us on uh, Women Over 70.
2: Well, it's really my honor to share my stories. I love sharing them. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on this. Thank you both so much.
0: Thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, add to the conversation, tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about, and become an active participant in our community. Our goal is to create a conversation across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcasts at womenover70.com. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.